but perhaps by putting cigarettes in the entrance of their church, they were saying, you have heard it said that by courage you might stand beside Odin and die with him gloriously at Ragnarok. But we say unto you that you may instead be martyred for Christ and added to his armies and be victorious with him at Armageddon. That's the most epic thing I've ever heard in my life. Welcome to this week's edition of The Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me today as always is my co-host, Sketchy Richie. <laughs> and on today's episode, Richie and I are going to be continuing on in part two. He just lied. We're going to be discussing Lord of the Rings <laughs> and Stranger Things. Richie is uh, dying to discuss uh, the concluding part of Stranger Things and the new uh, the surprise the, trailer the surprise Rings of Power uh, trailer that dropped this morning that he, literally Josh dropped on my head like an anvil while I was at work and yeah. people looking at me like I'm literally insane jumping around yeah he's literally dying to discuss these right now and, yes. <laughs> and so uh, we're planning on probably coming back next <laughs> week and talking about those so if you guys haven't had a chance to see them that'll give you another week to watch Stranger Things and so if you don't, if you've not watched it by next week, it's it's if you haven't watched it by today, it's too late. Yeah, like I'm not holding back anything. Yeah, we're gonna spoil it for you. Uh, yeah, it's spoiled. It. So if you're a regular Sword and Staff listener, you better get that in by next week. Or if you're in the group, it's already been spoiled. Yeah, it's already been spoiled if you're in the Sword and Staff group. So, but uh, on today's episode, Richie and I are going to be finishing up our uh, episode on uh, the resurgence of an Morse episode, Pagano. a complete Pagano. roasting. A complete roasting um, of the loser pagan gods. Like I told you, <laughs> like I told you last week, I'm playing the part of St. Boniface in this, this episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm hacking down Thor's oak and uh, we're going to build a cathedral out of it by the end I, of this thing. I guess. Let's do yeah, it. So. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to recap last week's episode for you in case you missed it. So last week we started off um, just with kind of a preface on North mythology, right? We talked about the main sources, which are the prose and the poetic eddas. We talked about uh, some of the complicated textual issues surrounding them, that they don't match one another. Some of the stories are different. There's not an abundance of text out there. It's not like looking at a textual variant in the Bible. Yeah. Right? With the Bible, there are many text out there that can help you authenticate a legitimate reading. Um, and they reinforce each other. Yeah, and so you <laughs> don't have that with the Eddas. So the reality is, is whenever it comes to this story, we don't really know what the original story was. And then not only that, but we also have another matter complicating it, and that is that one of the Eddas, uh, the main sources that we have, was written by a Christian, uh, by a uh, man named Snorri Sturluson who was an Icelandic Christian statesman, historian, and poet. So, um, 
we don't really know if he's giving us this material as he heard it or through the lens of his Christianity or if he is just kind of making some of it up and adding his own personal flourishes. And we kind of said last week it's probably a combination of all of those things. Probably. So. I don't know. I feel like we should really kind of do some research into him. Yeah. And into like what what he's had to say about other things like that. Well, he's also uh, done some historical work um, called the Icelandic Kings List. And um, see that gives okay. So he it's probably what he's saying is probably a lot more true to the tale than what I was. I figure he's probably mythologizing. Yeah, you know he's a poet <clears throat> and he's a historian. Yeah, so he's probably telling history as he's received it, and he's probably mythologizing it a little bit because he's a poet as well. Um, you know that's all that that's all that mythology is. It is a yeah. mythologized version of history. Um, and I got that from Doctor Mike Eisner. So he's got a little uh, YouTube clip on uh, mythology and how re- remythologizing works. So if you haven't seen that, go check that out. So we talked about that last week, and then we talked about uh, the cosmology of the nine realms. Right? We talked about the uh, creation story um, in the Norse myth, and we talked about how the universe was. Created from an ice giant. An ice giant. By the name of Ymir. And uh, we talked about the creation of the nine realms. I think we actually laid out the nine realms and who were the inhabitants yeah. of those, right? Um, and then we started getting into our section on bless, baptize, and burn, or as we've been calling it, take, pillage, and burn. <laughs> since take, we're pillage, talking, and burn. Since we're talking about uh, the, the Norsemen. Um, and so far, what we've said, Richie, is that there are certain things in the Norse myths that we can bless. There are certain things that we can baptize. There are certain things that we have to burn. And the first thing that we have to burn is the idea that the Most High God is Odin and that he is created, right? That the Most High is created. Yep. And so in the Norse myths, that's what we see. Odin is a created being. Um, there could be some reasons for that. Again, uh, Snorri uh, could be doing um, uh, mythopoetic um, storytelling. And he even says in the preface of his work that he believes that Odin was a historical figure who came from Troy and migrated north after uh, that story. We talked about that a little bit last week, too. We did, right? Yeah. So perhaps that's the reason why Odin is a created being, and it's a mythologized uh, version of his story. I don't know that, but I'm throwing that out there as a possible understanding. But at the same time, let me say this as well. It's totally not outside of the ordinary for the gods of the myths to be created. You see that in the Egyptian yep. myths. You see that. I was that. going to say it's, it's a cross-culture. <laughs> yep. You see that in the Babylonian myths. Um, it's not the Olympians. They're all the Olympians. Yep. That's right. Yeah. It's totally a normal thing. So who knows? But at the end of the day, we have to reject the idea that the most high God is created. Yep. Right. And Odin is kind of given that title. He, like with the name all father, like he is the father of all, um, the spiritual beings in the Norse pantheon in some way. Um, well, do they mean he's literally the all father of all, or is he the father of le- legit, the, like the father of the pantheon? I mean, he's of the that father group of, of gods. He's, he's the father of Thor. And the first three beings that are mentioned are uh, Odin, Vili, and Vey. Um, so I don't know if the rest of the, I'm not familiar enough to know if the rest of the gods are descendants of, uh, of him. I don't know. Because if you if you line it up with <clears throat> even like the tale of the Olympians, I mean they have 
elder gods that go before them, like like the uh, the primordial beings and things like that, like Gaia and Aether. Ah, I found an answer. Found um, an answer. So it says the foremost god in Norse, the Norse pantheon, Odin or Odin, as we were talking about last week, was the father to many of the Aesir, including Thor and Balder, the father figure and father figure to such as uh, others such as Loki. So now, would we liken him to Zeus, or would we liken him to Cronus? Yeah, I don't kind of. I don't know. He kind of has hints of both of those in some yeah. ways. Um. Or or do you liken a Thor to Zeus? Thor is a lot more like Zeus, yeah. I think. Um, so then Odin would be like Cronus. He would be a, a step above the Olympians. Yeah. And so so I think that's why they're calling him the All-Father. So yeah. he is the literal father in the midst of all people. Um, he's the one who creates the world because it's void prior to that, right? And then he creates it from the body of Ymir. Um so he's the father of humans, and then he is the father of many of the Aesir and the father figure to others. Right? So he's the all-father, quote-unquote. Yep. So we have to burn this idea that he is the most high God. Um, we talked about this last week. Um, and um, But in some ways, we talked about that we can, uh, at the very least, view Odin as a, a true spiritual being. and. Um, like I said, this is kind of the other side of the coin to was he a historical figure yeah, or I don't not. think it really matters when you think about it because whether he or not he was this mythologi- mythologi- mythologized yeah. human or this, this legend came about and some spiritual being took it on as a mask, Yeah, literally it comes out to the same sort of end either yeah. way. Or another uh, thing that... Uh, Father Andrew Damick from Lord of Spirits mentioned in the conversation that I had with him last week is it was also the possibility that they could have been dealing with the demonized spirit of a, a sorcerer from Troy. I love that. <laughs> That's it. That's the official take. It's over. <laughs> right. So um, people weren't expecting a uh, a miniature Lord of Spirits sword and staff crossover. Absolutely. But, but there, there you go. There it you is. And it. I love it. It was for free, too. So, <laughs> it was for free, too. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, but we talked about that, you know, uh, Tolkien kind of gives us a way to view this in some ways. And I kind of made the case that I think that Odin is probably Ale in Tolkien's mythos and he's the creator of the dwarves, right? And he's a creator, but he's a creator under a sub creator, um, under the authority of Ero Iluvatar, who is the most high God. Um, and that kind of brings us to the idea of, um, saints and angels and you know that kind of thing um so i think that one can view odin as a a real spiritual being but at the very least i think you have to view him as a fallen divine council member or spiritual being instead of one that deserves your veneration or or any of that kind of thing uh maybe or maybe not that but um looking to as an ideal or anything like that so um, if you don't prefer the word veneration, if because you, I know that, <laughs> I I, say. well, I know that that'll make some people, uh, uncomfortable. It doesn't me. <laughs> right. Um, so that's why they call you sketchy. I know it. <laughs> I was just praying to the saints before we got on here. <laughs> I'm dead. Oh goodness. Me and the cloud of witnesses had a chat. You and the cloud of witnesses had a chat. <laughs> we did. Oh good. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, we're kind of getting to the area to where we left off which is on the topic of Yggdrasil. 
Oh, gosh. I'm rolling my R's. I hear it. Um, and that's the world tree. And we talked about how the Bible actually lays out um, this view that there is a, a world tree, right? Um, it talks about it in Daniel 4. It talks about it in 17. Jesus talks about it in his parables. Um, we actually had a question about that this morning. Um, one of our Sword and Staff members in our Facebook group, if you're not a member of that, you need to go check it out. And by the way, if you do, you need to answer. Please answer the questions. <laughs> the questions. I cannot tell you how many people that the gatekeeper. Exactly. And I can't grant you any mercy and let you just in without any questions. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I deny on a weekly basis because yep. they don't fill out the questions. So if you invite someone or if you stumble upon the group, please answer the questions. Answer we the don't, questions. we don't let just any Joe or Jane blow in there. Exactly. So, uh, but, um, we had a question that we could probably expand on here a little bit because we didn't talk about it last week. Um, we had a question uh, in the group this morning by one of our friends, uh, Vivek. Um, I feel like he's been missing for like yeah. a little bit. He's been too quiet. Yeah, he has. And then he just been. pops back in. Yeah, and then he just popped up. Yeah, Vivek, where you been, bro? Uh, but anyway, he asked the question. And I thought it was a good question. Um, is the he says uh, is the world tree in the spiritual realm, or is the world tree in scripture just symbolic? If we could see into the spiritual world would we be able to see the world tree? Yes. And you're right. The way that I answered the question, and this is kind of the way that I think about it um, biblically, um, it's, I kind of think about it with a there and back again pattern. You can, see my, you can see my Tolkienian I can. framework coming, to, uh, coming out here, right? Did uh, you just open the door for us to talk about Lord of the Rings now? I'm trying not to. Uh, <laughs> so here's, here, if I was going to put it into a narrative, here's kind of how I would frame it. Um, once humanity had access to the literal tree of life in the garden, right? That's the world tree. Yep. This cosmic tree that grants uh, eternal life to humanity. It's this sacramental tree in a garden temple. Yep. Um, And not only that, but it also, like Yggdrasil, um, connects the realms, right? Its roots go down into Sheol, and its trunk rises up through the earth, and its branches go out into heaven. Right, so heaven and earth are together at this point. That's yep. the reason why you see God walking in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day. It's the reason why there is a seraphim, a serpent. This tree <clears throat> literally bridges the expanse. Right, um, it's kind of like a ladder, yep. um, like Jacob's ladder in some ways. Um, that's why there's a seraphim in the garden. It's the reason why. Um, it's the reason why there are cherubim stationed outside the garden with flaming swords. There are spiritual beings here because heaven and earth are bridged together by the cosmic world tree, the tree of life. And so what happens is after sin enters in and after Adam and Eve are exiled, their, their presence is cut off from that, right? Heaven and earth are no longer joined together. They are fractured because of sin. There's alienation between them. Um, which we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I'll let a little bit of my Barfieldian um, <laughs> cards out on the table now. Um, uh, thanks to Lucas Dormany, uh, our very first guest on Sword and Staff for pointing me to Owen Barfield this previous week, which is going to play a big part. He showed in up and threw a wrench in the gears. Yeah, right. Um, so um, humanity is alienated from creation. Um, and not only creation, but God as well. Uh, that means a lot of things. I'm not going to actually get into it like I, I was um, but so what happens is, is uh, 
there, there's this division now. There's alienation. And so now we've lost access to this tree. Heaven and earth are separated. And what we need is for the two to be joined back together. Right. Yep. Um, so we see glimpses of that, of the tree being restored as a spiritual reality through the rest of Scripture. So, for example, Psalm 2 calls the man who meditates upon God's law day and night a tree planted by streams of living water that bear its fruit in its season. We sing that psalm almost like every other Sunday in yeah, our church, right? Yeah. Um, so those who meditate on God's law become like the tree of life. We become trees planted by streams of living water. We bear fruit, and that fruit is good. It, it's for the healing of the nations. It's kind of a theme you see in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, right? That fruit from the tree of life heals the nation. So, um, Proverbs 3.18 says that the man who is wise literally says this, is like the tree of life. How do you become wise? By meditating upon God's law. The scriptures are meditation literature, right? That's Tim Mackey, Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, talks about that the scriptures are Jewish meditation literature. And so the more that you read them, the more that they reveal to you what they're actually saying, okay? Um, That's not saying that things are esoteric or... Uh, you know, Gnostic and hidden and that kind of things. It's just that it does not yield its wisdom to you on the first go around. Uh, you have to dig below the surface. And the more we do that, the more we meditate upon God's word, the wiser we become. Yep. As we meditate on his law, like in Psalm 1, we become wise people who act wisely in the world. And by doing that, Proverbs 3.18 says, we become like the tree of life. It's echoing Psalm 2. And then in Scripture, we see that kingdoms are compared to the world tree. So Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 has this dream, and he sees Babylon like a world tree reaching up into the heavens. And Ezekiel, talking about Babylon as a world tree, he sees them as a world tree too. He talks about that God is going to do something special and new. He says that God is going to send an eagle that is going to pluck a stick from the top of that world tree, and that he would replant it on the mountain in Jerusalem, and that the kingdom of Israel would become like this world tree. Okay? This theme gets carried on into the New Testament, right? Whenever we hit the New Testament, whenever we hit Jesus' parables, Jesus starts to refer to his kingdom as a world tree. So think about the Gospel of Matthew. Think about the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus yep. says his kingdom is like a small mustard seed that grows into the largest of all of the trees in the garden, and then all of the birds find a uh, nest in it and find rest under it. That's playing off of the language of Daniel 4 and Ezekiel, um, I think it was Ezekiel 17, if I'm not mistaken. It talks about the birds finding rest and uh, sanctuary under the tree. And the birds are symbolically, they're like they're people. People yep. are like birds, right? <clears throat> yep. People are like the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, okay? Um, so, so, yeah. Um, so we're starting to kind of see a glimpse, right? The kingdom of God, which begins in the people of Israel, right? Um, well, even before that, in the, the patriarchs, right? Starting with Abraham. He's the forefather of, of Israel. Um, these people who bring the kingdom of God are, are like a world tree in a spiritual way, right? Those who uh, come into our presence, Richie, in the church, receive the sacraments, which are like the tree of life. What did the tree of life do? 
Why do you think it's given the name of the tree of life? Well, because obviously it bestows life upon yep. those who eat its fruit. She, or God literally tells Adam and Eve that um, whenever they eat from the other tree, they will surely die. And then in, after he exiles them, it literally says in the text in Genesis chapter 3 that God exiles them from the garden and the tree of life lest they reach out their hand and take the fruit of the tree and live forever. How do they do that? Because the tree of life grants eternal life to the eater. It's a sacramental tree. And whenever we invite people into our presence, through the doors of the cathedral, through the doors of the church, as they walk up the holy mountain and come to the table of the Lord at the top of the sanctuary, just like at the top of the mountain where the tree of yep. life was at, they are eating of the tree of life. How? They are eating and drinking of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, who, in John 15, calls himself a tree and a vine. Yep. <clears throat> right. Um, and he talks about that those who don't eat his flesh and drink his blood have no life in them. Yep. Why does he say that? Because he is a tree of life. And what is Jesus crucified on? A tree yep. on top of a mountain. And what flows from his side? Rivers of water and blood, just like from the tree in the Garden of Eden, right? So <laughs> I've expanded on this a little bit more than I was planning on. Let's do it. Uh, well, uh, uh, so, so there you see it, right? The church is um, in the church, I should say. We see a glimpse of this world tree being restored in, in our ministry. That's what I meant in the comment this morning whenever I talked about it. In the ministry of the church, we see this carried out now but not yet in its fullness. So here's the back again part. We talked about the there part. Now we're going to talk about the back again part because, yep. you know, you have to, to get there again, you've got to take a journey and that's what the fall is. We, we leave there, but we're coming there again. So in Revelation 21 and 22, we actually see that one day the veil will be lifted. The curse will be taken away off of the earth. And whenever that happens, the tree of life will literally be restored into our presence. We see that in Revelation 21. It literally mentions the tree of life and the rivers of the water of life. And it talks about that every few months, I think, I can't remember the exact number, uh, but off the top of my head, but it talks about that it bears fruit every few months. And every time that it does, it's for the healing of the nations. So one day we literally will come back to the tree of life in its fullness. So, so, um, so if we were able to see in the spirit world, would we see the tree? Yes, because yes. that's what the tr- that's what that's what the church is. Yes, right. Um, if you were to look, you would see this tree with the with the base that covers the entire earth, because that's what the church we were spread across the earth, and then we're going up into the heavens, right? Because in the church, heaven and earth is bridged through the work of Jesus Christ. I was going to say, you see the, the life tree in its, very, the, in its various forms. Yeah, and so if you want to experience heaven and earth bridged, you have to do it through the church, Yep. right? Like uh, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, um, hold on a second, Hebrews 12, 22, says that whenever you come into the church, you come into the heavenly Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and then when you do, you come into the presence of thousands upon thousands of angels in joy, joyful festival, festal gathering. That's, that's a meal, festival, festal meal, right? And then he talks about that not only that, but you come into the presence of, of the firstborn, the church, right? Uh, those who are in heaven, the saints. And then he talks about that you come into the presence of God, the judge of all, who is, uh, 
whose spirits he has made perfect, righteous, and then that you come into the presence of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, whose sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So basically, the church, whenever you come into our presence, you enter up the holy mount, which is what Eden, Eve, or, uh, or what the tree of life sat on was a holy mountain. Yep. Um, and whenever you come into our presence, you experience the bridging of heaven and earth. You come into the presence of myriads upon myriads of angels gathered together in festal gathering in the church that's enrolled in heaven, right? The saints, the cloud of witnesses that we were talking about. Yeah. And then God himself. That we just had a communication conversation <laughs> with. Oh, goodness. We was all in a group chat. That we was all in a group chat. A group right? prayer. Yep, there you go. Um, so, yes, the tree, the, the tree, the world tree is still yet on earth in a metaphysical, spiritual way. And it's in the church and in our ministry. So, yes. Um, okay. All right. So, that takes us into where we left off last week. So we're, we're already 25 minutes in. Yep. Um, so last week we talked about that. Um, so we can bless this idea of the world tree, basically, is what we're saying here. Um, and not only that, but we can even take it a little bit further. And there is a clear parallel when we look at the story of the world tree between Odin sacrificing himself on Yggdrasil and Christ sacrificing himself on the world tree of the cross. Okay. So as we were just talking about, that whenever Jesus sacrifices himself on the cross, it becomes this cosmic world tree that gives eternal life and bridges heaven and earth. It, it brings the problem that we had at the beginning with losing access to the world tree and heaven and earth being split apart, alienated, fractured, right? They're bridged back together at the cross. Why? Because a man of the flesh who is God incarnate from heaven bridges yep. humanity and heaven once again. In his <clears throat> hypostatic union. This ultimate microcosm. That's, that's exactly right. Just like the tree is. That's right. Okay. So. Um, well, if you think about that, you can literally tra- trace this world tree from the garden through the law, through the Ark of the Covenant, through Jesus, and then now through the church. And then even back into new creation. So right. the tree is always there. It's just in its various forms. That's right. Yep. Good stuff. Okay. So, um, so yes. So we see here, though, that in the Norse myth and in the Christian story, there are parallels between the work that Odin does upon Yggdrasil and the work that Christ does upon the cross. Yep. Okay, And I think that we can actually baptize this, bless it. And so you read it last week. I'll read it this week. I was week. going to say okay. it's your turn. Okay. So this comes from the story called The Lord of the Gallows. And I'm going to read a little bit more of it, I think, this week to give a little more context, okay? Um, I, I might read the whole thing. I don't know. We'll find out. Let's and if do I do, it. we'll throw some more music to <clears throat> well, it. Because, absolutely. Because people really liked that last week, apparently. I'm here for it. Now, let me go ahead and say, probably going to butcher names again. So, <laughs> all right, so here we go. The axis of the world was Yggdrasil. Rolling those R's. It's at the center of the world says it's the axis of the world. It's just like the tree of life. That ash soared and its branches fanned over gods and men and giants and dwarves. If it sheltered all of creation. So one root dug deep into Nephilim and under that root the spring Fergelmer seethed and ground like water called down there 
the dragon, Nidhogg, ripped apart corpses. Between mouthfuls, he sent the squirrel, Ratatosk, whisking up the trunk of the deepest, from the deepest earth to heaven. It carried insults to the eagle, who sat on the topmost bough, with a hawk perched on its bow. And Nidhogg was not content with the corpses. He and his vile accomplices gnawed at the root of Yggdrasil itself, trying to loosen what was firm and put an end to the eternal. It's just like the kingdom of darkness, yep. trying to take out the church, the gates of hell, right? And it's the same things here. That's the gates of hell. It is it like is this a, dragon picture, even from Revelation. Nidhogg, who is below the earth, right? Down below where the roots are at. It's the same, same thing, yep. right? Um, okay. Other creatures, too, attacked and preyed off of the living tree. Four stags nibbled at the new leaves, and goats tugged and tore off the tender shoot. Parts of the huge trunk were peeling. Parts were soft and rotten. Yggdrasil whispered. Yggdrasil groaned. A second root curled into Asgard. Under the root flowed the well of Erd and the spring of destiny, where the gods gathered each day and held a council of justice. So we have this idea of the divine council I was meeting. Say, there it is. Where there are <clears throat> is water and tree, just like in the garden, right? When God says, yep. Let us make man in our image, right? We have the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, speaking to the members of the divine council. People get tripped up on this verse all the time. They're like, Is it is it God speaking to the other members of the Trinity? Or is it God speaking to the members of the council? And it's yes. Yes. Because when one per member of the Trinity speaks, they all speak because they have one will, not three wills. We are not tritheists, brothers. <laughs> We're not. That is a heresy. That is a heresy. So when one member of the Trinity speaks, the others speak as well. And yes, they are speaking to the members of the Divine Council as well. There are angels there. There are Divine Council members there. That's how you end up with a serpent in the garden. That's how you end up with cherubim in the garden. Okay? So, this is easy math. It's not hard to figure out. <laughs> okay. So, the second root curled into Asgard. And so, we've got the whole gods. They're gathered together at the Court of Justice where the Spring of Destiny is at. Very, just like Eden, right? The three Norn lived nearby. Fate and being and necessity. They shaped the life of each man from uh, each man from his first day to his last. And every day they sprinkled water on the branches of Yggdrasil and nourished the suffering tree. The third root burrowed into the part of Jotunheim, held by the frost giants. Under that root bubbled the spring guarded by the wise Amir, and the water in that well gave insight to all who tasted it. So we've got this idea of tree, water, and wisdom now. Yep. Which is just like the Proverbs talking about those who meditate on God's law become like trees and they become wise, right? The god Heimdall left his shrieking horn there until the day when he would need it to, sever, uh, to summon every living creature to Ragnarok. Ragnarok. <laughs> and Odin had given one eye for a single drought from it. He won immense knowledge there and with it, the thirst for even greater wisdom. So the terrible one approached Yggdrasil alone. 
Odin is called the terrible one. The terrible one. Yeah. And so it's, uh, see again here, tree and wisdom, they're, they're linked. Odin is like Melkor. He's like the terrible. The terrible. So here we go. Here's where we get into the interesting stuff. It's already been interesting, but Odin said, I hung myself from that windswept tree, hung there for nine long nights. I was pierced with a spear. I was offering to, I was an offering to Odin, myself, to myself. No one has ever known or will ever know the roots of that ancient tree. No one came to comfort me with bread. No one revived me with a drink from a horn. I peered at the worlds below. I seized the runes, and shrieking, I seized them and fell back. The story goes on. It talks about the rest of the runes, and, <clears throat> you know, and what all they mean and nope. that kind of stuff. But we're not going to get into that. Let's but, dive right into that. <laughs> Rich, let's dive right into that. No, and no, we'll no. be offering free rune readings after this episode no. in the Facebook group. We don't need that. We got, Ooh, we, we, got that. we got wisdom, baby. We don't need that. <laughs> we don't need runes where we're going. We don't need runes. <laughs> okay. All right. So, did you notice the parallels there? I noticed so many. There are lots. Okay, <clears throat> There's so you, tons. Okay, so you've got giants and you've got you've got gods, the divine council members gathering together at trees, and there's water and there's wisdom, and then there's Odin sacrificing himself on the world tree for wisdom. The wisdom to gain knowledge of the runes for help when Ragnarok would come. It's this kind of day of judgment for the gods when they would all be I savaged. mean, it's, the runes are, are thought of to be this wellspring of mystic knowledge. Mm-hmm. So he literally sacrificed himself to gain the source of mystic knowledge. It also gives a mythologized <clears throat> um, origin to the runes and to the, yep. uh, to the old Norse language. Like it's, it's tied to Odin and knowledge, right? So, but anyway, so here's what we see. There is a clear parallel here between Odin and Christ. Right? Right? The cross, just like Yggdrasil, has become a cosmic tree that gives eternal life and it, it bridges the world. And there, though, we see Jesus Christ, who is called the wisdom of God. He is the word. And Paul says that in him are found all of the treasures of knowledge and wisdom in Christ. So Christ is wisdom. Um, wisdom in Proverbs gets personified as this person that you can catch and you can get a hold of and become wise, right? So there's even this connection between wisdom. And so how, how is wisdom, though, uh, tied to Christ and the cross? Because Christ offers us, through his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, the opportunity to become wise. How? By being united to him. And not knowing just truth propositions, but knowing him who is truth and wisdom and internalizing and incarnating that into ourselves. So there's a clear parallel here between this. Okay? And we're not the only people to have said that. Yep. Um, this is actually what Christians have historically said. There's actually a poem out there called The Dream of the Rude. It's a Christian Anglo-Saxon poem. And what it does is it takes the idea of the world tree 
And it subtly says that the world tree was in some way actually the cross. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Whenever you go back and you look throughout church history and you see Christians evangelizing the, the, uh, the Norsemen, this connection between the cross and Yggdrasil was not ignored by them. Actually, it was when Germanic Christians evangelized Germanic pagans, they used it as evidence to show that in some way the, their myth was somehow connected to the true myth, the story of Jesus Christ, right, the cross. And they used it as a point of evangelism. Yep. So, yes, there is something deeply true about this story, and there's also something deeply false about it, right? The, the idea that it's Odin who sacrificed himself so that he can somehow save himself from Ragnarok, right? Okay, well, the Christian story is different than that. But there is truth here. Christ sacrifices himself upon the world tree, the cross, so that we gain not only eternal life, but we also become people who become whole and who become wise as a result of being united to him. So, so that's one thing that we can uh, baptize and bless. Yep. <clears throat> which you may have never thought about. That's an understatement. I want to say that was some deep. I'm going to that be was honest some with deep you. stuff right I there. I feel like that might have been my finest moment of theologizing on this podcast. <laughs> my finest moment. Because like, I mean, I'm not like, I like I, mean, I was watching the gears turn in your eyes. You're yeah. like, yes, this is a lot of it was on the spot. Yeah. So I, I've got to, I'm going to say, I got to be a little bit, happy with that he's proud i'm a little proud he's a little uh, proud but pride comes before the fall so i might <laughs> jack up this next part so um okay all right so got some high scandinavian names in there to butcher again. i feel like that my um scandinavian ancestors who became christians are very proud of me right they're now. all rolling their in r's the great, right now enjoy in the, in the great cloud of witnesses they are we just talked to them they're going up and they're going robinson <laughs> <laughs> actually that's what the, the name robinson yep it comes from that culture. So uh, it, Robinson means the son of Robin. And the way that they named people, so they had uh, the son of Robin and the daughters of Robin. So it was expressed in Robin's son and Robin's daughter, D-O-T-T-I-R. If you actually go out there and look, there's actually a clan of Robin's daughters as well and Robin's sons. So we all apparently came from the same ancestor at some point. So interesting. Sorry. Uh, it was I dig- Odin. I digress. Um, <clears throat> so anyway. Oh, I just jo- about Josh's me. historical ancestor is Odin. No, <laughs> or the yeah, guy well, that. Well, kinda, yeah. I mean, yeah, kinda, yeah. If if we're going to go down the road that Odin was a yeah, yeah, <clears throat> real yeah. person, I mean, well, I do have um a lot of Italian, Roman, old Roman, and a lot of and that old explains tra- the Trojan backstory because there he is. Yeah, well, I, I'll show you here too, real quick. I, I'm, I'm sorry, we're we're digressing, and I know people will hate this, but <laughs> this is what you get when you listen. This to is what of, you get. Yeah, so uh, like uh, we're doing an ancestry DNA profile right now. right now, literally. So here's my my DNA story. So I've got you know a lot of England and northwestern Europe, but I've got the southern Italy and the northern Italy, which is uh, old, also got old Rome in it. Southern Italy and Northern Italy. Yeah. But then here I've got Germanic Europe. Germanic Europe. <laughs> Which is, and then I've got Norway and then Sweden. And He's got Denmark. those Scandinavian, yeah. Scandinavian heathens. Yeah, I do. So like it's all connected in there. It in is. In some ways. So you know what? Maybe, maybe I am related 
to that because I do have people who came from that area Your of the new world. Their name is Joshua Odinson, and does it does look like that they migrated north into yep. the Scandinavian and then migrated back down to the British Isles. So you know maybe Robinson instead of Odinson. Uh, well, I mean, so anyway, I'm here for it. All right. So um, okay. This is going to be the last thing that we talk about, blessed baptizing and burning, um, because if we don't move on, we're going to have an, a third part to this episode. Let's have a third part. <laughs> we got to get the Stranger Things in Lord of the Rings. No, we can't have a third part. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Okay. I think that we can also um, bless the idea that um, there is a place for everyone, right? So when we look at the nine realms, that's, I mean, that's really what it is. Right, the nine realms give a place for everybody. Wait, we're just now getting to this section of yeah. Okay. That's what I'm saying. That's where we were supposed to have started out. At. I know, then- <laughs> but there was so much that we needed yeah. to dive into deeper and cover because we was yep. at the end of the last episode. And like, I think it'll be okay because we had people it's who good. we had people who were saying that like, oh, we felt like you just cut off right at the good part. Yeah. Well, here we go. We just made a whole episode of that one go. one part that yep. we didn't get to go to last week. So all right. Okay, but the desire to, to have a place for everyone, okay, we're at 40 minutes already. Um, I think that is a good desire that we can bless, yep. right? I mean, in their worldview, they have a place for the elves and Alfheim and the dwarves and Nidavellir and then the giants in Jotunheim, right? And, you know, we don't quite have something like that in, in, in ours, uh, in Christianity. But we do acknowledge that these beings do exist. Um, at least the Bible does, because it talks about things like donkey centaurs, and and it talks about things uh, mythological beings like that in it. And that's not to say that the Bible does. Mr. Ritchie has a place for all these things to exist <laughs> in his worldview. Uh, well, yeah, and so um, you know, it, but the Bible talks about things like centaurs, and not yep. only that, but chaos monsters that live on the margins of the world. Like that's like. Um, you know, it's kind of like the world serpent, right? It, it talks about all this stuff, and it doesn't talk about it because it's mythological and false, but it talks about it because it's true. Yep. And that should rock your world, and it should make you question what's actually true I'm and what's shook. not. Okay. Uh, I'm Tol- shook and not like what Col- Coleman Barber just done <laughs> with that picture. Um, so, <clears throat> like Tolkien talks about in uh, his poem Mythopoeia, um, which we've been doing a lot of that today. Um, yep. He talks about that the old myths, he said that they, they steer shakily, right? Like they've got errors. They've got some falsehood in them. He says, but no matter how shakily they may ride, they steer us towards the true harbor. Yep. And I think that's true. I, I think that we see that here. And I think that the desire to have a place for everything is a good, uh, good desire to have. Because the Bible also um, talks about the existence of giants. They're called the Nephilim, right? And not only that, but it talks about the existence of angels at the four corners of the earth who are like the dwarves at the four corners of the I feel earth. Like that would be my luck, and that would be my ancestors or the Nephilim. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, it makes uh, sense, you know. Um, and then it talks about elemental spirits. <laughs> I'm not moving on because we're, we're we, it talks about elemental spirits, which elemental is spirits. which is what elves are. That's what dwarves are, too, you know? The faith. And those are angels. So I think that the, 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 our version of this, the baptized version, is the church's angelic hierarchy. Yeah. Um, and you can find that in the works of St. Thomas Aquinas. 
But I mean, it gives place for these things, right? Like we see that the, there's in the, the myths of the Norse myths that there are four dwarves at the corners of the earth. Right? Those are angels in our worldview, which fit into our angelic hierarchy. We see that they have elves and, and Alfheim, right? Those are elemental spirits. Those are virtues in our angelic hierarchy. So we can bless this. We can say to this, amen, right? There are a variety and a diversity of spiritual beings out there, and there is a place for them in our world. Yeah. So, um, okay. All right. So now we're going to get into the part. And- I ju- one thing I just want broken is <clears throat> the Christian view that the spiritual world is just full of these babies floating around on clouds with wings. Like they have this such a shallow, flat. You mean the modern Christian? Yeah, yeah, the modern Christian take on that. Like they have this one view of the angelic, and it's and it's just it's not like that, and it's it's just annoying. Yeah, I mean, whenever you go back and look at the uh, the early church, and you look at their iconography, um, their depictions of the seraphim are not the chubby little babies. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> the the, they're, te- they're tetram. They're tetramorphic spiritual beings who are arranged, you know, they've got, they're four, made of four different, you know, man, you know, and then angelic beings. They look more like Cthulhu than the angel babies. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) And so, you know, that's in our, in our, our tradition. We just have to recover it. Okay. We're 45 minutes in already. (laughs) I've not even touched on the the Barfieldian. Listen, it's it's okay, it's fine. I've not even touched on the Barfieldian part that we need to touch on, or the conclusion for why somebody should be Christian. So, so this okay. Let me just go ahead and say, guys, you might get a third episode here, and I'm sorry, Richie. We if might. we get one, we are not doing it next week because I cannot okay. push off okay. Lord right. of the Rings that long. That's fair. If we do a third one, we won't drop it next week. We'll drop it the week after next. Okay, but. I'm going to try to wrap it all up here in 15 minutes, and I don't think that I can do you it. You can't do it, so you okay. might as well just let's go another 45 okay. minutes. So why? Okay, if we get over an hour, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to wrap it up. So I might get the Barfieldian part in, okay. but not the, the last part. Okay, so why should we be Christians rather than pagans, Norse pagans in particular? Because there's a lot of parallels here, right? So why, why choose the Christian story over, over this story? The first point that I want to give you um, comes from Owen Barfield. And again, this comes from our... Oh, I thought you were just going to just lay it out to him and tell him that the Norse gods are losers. Okay. End well, the story. You, you know what? Okay. I'll end... I'll start... I'll go that route today. <clears throat> and then if we don't get to the Barfieldian part, we'll, we'll do that in another episode. Okay. Yeah. Because I know you've been waiting for me to, to chop down Oaks Thor. <sighs> chop it, it down. Goes. Okay. Well, here's why you should be a Christian instead of a Norse pagan. Because the Norse gods are losers. There it is. There it is. Thanks for tuning in. I mean... Whenever you look in the Norse myths, okay, you see gods who are nothing but losers. I mean, th- Thor <laughs> battles <okay>. the world <laughs> serpent, Jorgenmander, and dies at Ragnarok. Yep. Right? His, ball, his, his brother, Balder the Beautiful, goes into hell and doesn't come back. Odin dies at the hands of the monsters at Ragnarok, right? Even the heroic men of courage who were thought to dine to go to Valhalla and who were chosen to fight alongside of Odin die beside of him at Ragnarok. Yep. You should be a Christian because not only are the Norse gods losers, but also their story offers you no hope. 
Think about it. You just pulled the rug right out from underneath Norse paganism. Think about it. I mean, okay, I mean, like you go through Richie and you watch the shows like Vikings and you know, and you you get into Norse culture and they talk about Tuvalhalla, you know, and <laughs> Tuvalhalla, you know, that kind of thing. And do you? Did, I don't know if they understand what happens at Valhalla. I don't think they take it that far. No, I don't think that they do. The that's where the the courageous go where you know their souls go um but they're they're kept there for a while so that they can die beside of odin at ragnarok yep so guess what pagans you're going to die and go to valhalla and then you're going to die again after that with your loser gods <laughs> with your loser gods i this story gives you no hope like there is no eternal life and the, the little bit of eternal life that you experience it's is very like this temporary. temporary glory and then destruction. Um, I've got a, uh, I've got a sec. Uh, this was a part of the, uh, the conversation came from a conversation with father Andrew, Stephen Damick from Lord of Spirits again. So, Oh, here we go. Crossover. Again. Here we go. And it's just a quotation from him. And so I'm just going to read it because it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And it gets at some of this. He says, uh, he, uh, he says, it was mentioned that, the pro- that probably the greatest hope that any pagan Norseman had was to die bravely in battle so that he might join Odin's army at Ragnarok. That's the hope. When, of course, even the gods will die, <laughs> defeated by monsters. It was said by one person that they didn't even know of any other myth parallels to that idea, that getting to die at the last battle beside your god was the highest hope. So they're totally unaware of any other myths other than that one. And for them, that is the greatest story they could ever possibly see, which is sad. And that's why Christians have something to offer. Well, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense <clears throat> with that version of paganism. I mean, I mean the Norse were a very much a culture of death. I mean, they glorified death. So it makes sense <clears throat> that their ultimate end would have something to do with death, like uh, the glory, the glory death of all glory deaths, dying beside Odin in yeah. battle. He says, "I mentioned." So he talks about he's a uh, you know doing a class on this, like I had talked about in the last episode. He said, yeah. "I mentioned the class in the class dis- uh, discussion that the saints of Christian tradition are understood to be joined to the hosts of heaven, the cloud of witnesses, the divine council, and of course that battle turns out rather differently from Ragnarok." <laughs> yeah. It was said slash asked by someone whether that was just the saints rather than the ordinary Christian. I responded, no, that's, that's the call for everyone to become saints. And, to re- uh, and the response came that they had never heard that before. So his classmates had never heard this idea. Uh, rather than being astounded at the ignorance, you can't blame ignorance unless it's invincible. Plus, I'm still very ignorant about a lot of things that I'm learning. I was instead struck by the parallel on how the Christian understanding is simply superior in every way while the pagan version is really a reduced version of what Yahweh offers to mankind. Pictured here is a, uh, well, that's another thing that we could have baptized and burned, but, uh, but um, he says, uh, pictured here is a carving of the Volsunga saga of Sigurd slaying the dragon, Fafnir. Uh, a story loved by Tolkien and used by him as a source material in a few different ways. Interestingly, the carving was included at the doors 
of a 12th slash 13th century Christian church in Norway, which is um, Heilstad Stav Church or Stave Church. Um, and it says, Christian, uh, uh, when the church was destroyed, these carvings were so important that they were reused in another church. They now reside in the museum. Why might Norse Christians have put pagan mythological images on the door of their church? They weren't syncretists. They knew that the sacred oaks of paganism were cut down by St. Boniface for a reason. But perhaps by putting Sigurd at the entrance of their church, they were saying, you have heard it said that by courage you might stand beside Odin and die with him gloriously at Ragnarok. But we say unto you that you may instead be martyred for Christ and added to his armies and be victorious with him at Armageddon. That's the most <clears throat> the most epic thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> is it not? It is. Is it not? I mean, Odin gets massacred along with his... <laughs> Odin gets massacred. The, massac- the, the, terri- <laughs> the terrible one. Odin the terrible Odin one. Odin the terrible gets terribly... Gets massacred. Massacred at Ragnarok. But those who are in Christ are victorious with him at Armageddon. That's why you should be a Christian. There you go. <laughs> and not a Norse pagan. Bomb dropped. Mike dropped. Talk about where this you want to over. find the masculine push at. I mean, right there it is. Yeah, you want, I mean, there is nothing more masculine than becoming a part of the army of the living God and becoming victorious. That Absolutely. is metal. That is metal. <laughs> Rest in peace. Rest Eddie. in peace, Eddie. Eddie. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't deal with this. You just had to. You just kicked the legs out from under me. May God rest. Absolutely. Saint so, Eddie. All right. So I've He's got, the patron saint of Sword and Staff. I've got another section. Uh, I think <clears> that I can wrap this up really quick. So this will put us in it over now. Um, so another, you know, a second reason, it comes from Owen Barfield. So if you don't know who Owen Barfield was, he was uh, the last inkling. He died in 1997, Richie. Oh, wow. I didn't 19, think they were around even that long. He died in 1997. Late. He died at 99. Wow. He was born the same <laughs> wow. year that Lewis was born. That's crazy when you think about it. Yeah. But he but um he was very good friends with Tolkien and Lewis. Lewis was one of his best friends. He was one of the ends. He he was they had this battle and he was actually really influential on uh Lewis becoming a Christian. They had this battle they called the Great War. And it was they just always went back and forth together. But uh but anyway, um he has a work uh, where he touches on this called Saving the Appearances. And there's a uh, an episode out there that the theology podcast has done on Barfield and saving the appearance. You can go watch it. Um, our uh, dwarven friend Malcolm Geit does a lot of our dwarven friend. Does, yes, does a lot of uh, Barfieldian stuff where he's talked about this. But anyway, uh, basically, you know, Barfield's work uh, can be summed up this way. He says that um, you can no longer go back to paganism truly and experience what they once experienced. Yeah. And the reason why is because there has been an evolution in consciousness. In other words, we now experience reality differently than our pagan ancestors did. Um, Lucas Dormany um, sent me his work and said, you should touch on this because it's relevant for what you're talking about. Yep. So I spent the last week uh, reading Barfield. But, um, but basically, you know, to sum up his thoughts, he says that there's this thing called original participation, which was the participation that we used to experience, right? Which is, in, in, and in that frame of mind, in original participation, Richie, um, 
the way that it worked was there was no distinction between the knower and the object being known. No. There was no distinction between the two of them. And actually, meaning was bestowed from the outside rather than from the inside out. Okay? So his meaning was external rather than internal. Yep. So whenever you look at the pagans, like especially the Norse, especially with bands like Heilung, uh, you see the whole pagan regalia, uh, the ceremonial regalia, and it looks very animalistic. That's why. Because in the ancient world, in that worldview, whenever people experienced uh, original participation, meaning came from the outside rather from the inside out. Yep. And so <clears throat> they were being defined by the, the elementals and the elements and the animals, right? That's why they're dressing themselves up the way that they did and why the berserkers dressed themselves up the way they did. Anyway, um, maybe we'll do a, another episode where we dive into this a little bit further and I can tease it out a little bit more. But uh, basically, expand on it, yeah. Yeah, but basically what he <clears throat> says is that um, consciousness has evolved since then. Yep. And, you know, we no longer experience reality that way. So there's been this change that has occurred over conscious, in consciousness over time, and you can see that. He, that's what his work does, is it chronicles this. So, for example, I'll give you a practical example of this with a word. So think about the word uh, spirit, right, or wind. We have two words for that, right, which are the words spirit and wind. Those are two different categories for us, right, in our consciousness. We don't think of them as being the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But in the ancient world, they did think of them being the same thing. So in Hebrew and in Greek, there is one word for those two. In, in Hebrew, it's ruach, which means spirit or wind. And in, um, and in um, uh, Greek, it is uh, pneuma, which means the same thing. And so uh, that goes to show that the way that they experienced reality via their consciousness was different than the way that we experience it. We experience wind as something unspiritual, right? Just wind, just just the mechanism, right? The scientific mechanism of wind blowing. The ancients, whenever they felt wind blowing, they, they experienced it as spirit. That's why there's one word. Yep. And so that goes to show that there has been an evolution in consciousness. And we're not talking about like Darwinian evolution. We're talking about there's just been change over time, okay? So even though you might want to go back to that, and you do that by putting on the ceremonial regalia, all of that, and uh, listen to the, you know, the tribal, you know, Norse chants and all that. The reality is, is that you can't fully go back because consciousness and the way that you experience reality has evolved. And you cannot experience it the same way that your pagan yep. ancestors did. So that the very best, all you can do is LARP. I was going to say, if you say the be- very best, we're just LARPing. I'm going to... You, you seriously, like the best that you're doing is LARPing. You're not the reason why they expressed themselves in that way was because of how they experienced reality. Yeah, they experienced a oneness. It's but they have this deep desire to want to participate in the way. Well, the, the ancients did. Yeah, I mean, they experienced this oneness, this original participation with the uh, with with creation that we no longer experience. We are now. Um, differentiated, individualized selves. That's where we're at now. Um, yep. That's we we no longer experience this unity that that humanity used to uh, experience. And I I didn't quite get and that, that, you know, that's a part of the alienation that comes as, the, as a part of the fall. 
this episode's going to go longer than I thought. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm here I, for it. Yeah, I'm going to read a poem by C.S. Lewis called Adam at Night. The Adam at Night. Okay? And we're also going to read a poem called The Green Man. <laughs> so C.S. Lewis talks about, um, he, he's, he was Barfieldian in ways that was his friend. He talks about what it would have been like to experience original participation. Original participation. Okay, so he this thought is expressed in a poem called "The Atom at Night." And listen to what he says here. And we'll stop and we'll break it down a little bit, which ruins poetry. It ruins it. But we'll talk about it here. So listen to what he says. He says, "Except at the making of Eve, Adam slept not at all, as men sleep now before the fall." So basically, he's saying. That men, and prior to the creation of Eve, man did not sleep. It's, it's a result of the fall. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit. Sin yet unborn, he was free from that dominion of the old brother of death who occults the mind. Instead, when stars and twilight had him to bed, and the dutiful owl, whirring over Eden, had hooted a warning to the other beast to be hushed till morning and curbed their plays that the man should be undisturbed. He would lie relaxed, enormous under a sky, starry as never since. He would set ajar the door of his mind. Into him thoughts would pour other than day. He rejoined earth, his mother. So rather than sleeping at night, He's basically saying that man goes into a... This reflective, meditative state. Right, where he is experiencing original participation. Yep. This undifferentiated state between the known and the knower, okay? He says... He like mel- joining the song of Iluvatar. Right. He melted into her nature. Gradually, he felt as though, uh, as though through his own flesh, the elusive growth the hardening and spreading of roots in the deep garden, in his veins, the wells filling with the silver rains, and thrusting down far under his rock crust, finger-like rays from heaven that probed, bringing to bloom the gold and diamond in his dark womb, the seething central fires moved with his breathing. So basically, what he's saying is this, in original participation, before man was alienated from God and creation, because that's a part of the fall, right? A part of the fall is that thorns and thistles now come, right? And it's going to be difficult for the earth to produce fruit for you now, Adam. And right? that was a, a poem by C.S. Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. So here's what Lewis that's, says. Do you think that's, that's so different from his writings? Like he literally shifted into Power Ranger mode right there when he wrote that. I mean, it's, it's Power Ranger mode. Yeah, like it's next level compared to like to even his writing. So it's 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 different. Well, here's what he says. This is what original participation would have felt like. He says that Adam would um, he, that he would feel through his own flesh the hardening and the spreading of the roots going down in the deep garden. So that's the type of participation that he had with the creation. And then not only that, but he could feel in his veins, just imagine it, in your own veins, the wells of the earth filling with the silver rains. And then not only that, but he talks about that with the seething, the seething central fires moving with his own breathing. So every time he breathes in and breathes out, 
the central fires at the center of the earth do the very same thing, right? Which make, which gives a whole new meaning to Absolutely. What, what it means to be alienated, right? That there is alienation between man and creation as a result of the fall. This is... I mean, it makes you mourn that connection. Right. And if, and if we experience that kind of alienation with creation, how much more do we experience with God? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah? That's Like so intense. much God come walking in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day, right? You know, I think there's even a reason why man covers himself with leaves, right? It's a, like, whenever God finds him, he's covered himself because he's naked, right? And they're hiding it in the trees. Why are they hiding in the trees? It's because they once used to feel this oneness, this original participation with the creation, and now it's been lost, and they're trying to fake it. Yeah. You know? And, um, and so basically what Barfield would do is he would call this regalia that you see in, like, Norse paganism. He would call it a cultural fossil of original participation, right? So it's kind of, kind of the way you dig a fossil out of the ground, Richie, and it's got a, an image, you know, something contained within it of an old world. That's yeah. what this stuff is. Uh, like, the, like if you listen to Hyla, and they've got, you know, the, the whole thing. That's a cultural fossil. It is a fossil of a world that you can no longer go back to. And honestly, I think if you asked them, they would probably agree with that. Yeah, I think they probably would. It's, it, it's, it is a hearkening back to a world that was participated in a different way where there was a oneness between you and the creation, you and the animals. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what, there is a oneness there. We yep. are a part of creation. We, we are from the dust of the ground in the same exact way that the animals are. So there is a oneness there between the two of us. Now, there is a difference as well in that we have the image of God, and they don't. So we're also um, a combination, of, we're a microcosm of earth and heaven. But we do share and have a solidarity with the creation as well. And so, all right, so Barfield would say that the all, oh, now, so he talks about the original participation. You can no longer participate in the same way you do. Now there is a differentiation between us and creation and God and all of those things, right? We're individualized selves now. Um, he says, but here's the reality. There is uh, something that we will one day participate in called final participation, okay? And basically what it is is we will once again experience that unity as differentiated, individualized itself. So we will get back there. It's there and back again. There and back again. So a hobbit's but, tale. Yeah, but we won't we won't do it just by simply going back to the old way. Right? It's uh what's what we have uh, become and what we should have been need to come back together. Right? So uh you know um you can't just chuck all of this and just go back. Um, and so basically, here's the argument. The only way that you can actually experience final participation, which is the joining together of these two things, is by being united to Christ. Yep. Right? The best you're going to get with paganism is LARPing. <laughs> you, know, you just put it out like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just true. Like it's just LARPing. It is. The only way that you're going to ever experience and participate in the God who created you the way that you want is by being united to Christ by faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin. And so that's why you should become a Christian. Now, there's so much more that I could say other than that about original and, and, yeah. and the final participation and the, the nuances in Barfield and you know that kind of thing. There's so much because I've been reading about it for a week. But um, 
that's an overview of kind of how it fits in to what we're talking about here today. You, it's, it's a world you can't go back to. Yep. And the only way that you can actually recover some of that is by being done. Well, guys, that about wraps up today's episode. We come in at over, a little bit over an hour, an hour and eight minutes, not nearly as long as I thought we were going to be. I thought if I kept on going that I would be here for an hour and a half. I probably could have. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, well, Richie, you got anything to say before we sign off today? I've got so much to say, but I don't <laughs> think we want to get into it right now. Well, the good news is we don't have to come back for a third episode on yeah. this paganism. So we've got it all wrapped up today. There's always more that we could say. Absolutely. But, but I think this is... Uh, I think this is sufficient. I think we've said all that needs to be said. And we've given people a good framework, I think, for evaluating things um, outside of their own system and how to dialogue with it and how to think about it. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode. If you want more, more content, there's going to be an art package that gets dropped with this episode that kind of helps you um, picture some of what we're talking about. Uh, talking about. Um, what we're really wanting to accomplish with this is uh, we're wanting to help with the imaginative side of things, right? One of the big problems that people have is like they read stories and myths and so and it's just kind of dead, right? Like it's and um, the artwork I find has helped me personally. Um, that's one of the things. That's why whenever I get like I've got a copy of the Silmarillion sitting over there, and it's the illustrated edition. And I always if I if it's Tolkien, I get I try to go for the illustrated editions every time I see him because. They're usually illustrated by him or Ted Nesmith, I think is his name. I can't remember his last name. And it helps me with the imaginative part of things. So that's what kind of like what we're wanting to do with, with our episodes now. That's why we're adding in things like music to whenever things are being and, – and then releasing art to accompany them as well. It want, we want to help people experience this and participate in this in a way that you're not going to experience anywhere else. And so if you want that – you got to head on over to our Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash Sword and Staff, where for just $5 a month, you can get Sword and Staff uncut. You can get extra bonus content, get the art packs, you get swag packages that we send out on occasion. You get all of those things that you can't get anywhere else. So head on over there and check that on out. We'll be back next week with a Chinwag edition uh, <laughs> on, on Lord of the Rings, uh, the Rings of Power, the trailer that they just released. And the season finale of Stranger Things, yes. season four. So should be a lot of fun. I don't know if Richie's going to be able to wait until next week. No, but um, we're just. I will be have... in the group at the group thing tonight talking about it. Yeah. It cannot wait. It cannot wait. So, well, well, we'll try to keep it uh, until next week. And also, if you join promises. the Facebook group, you get to join my new fan club. Apparently, where they make <laughs> memes about me and <laughs> they turn you into gifs. They do. I don't know if it's GIFs or GIFs. I call them GIFs because I don't like saying GIF. Like I don't like saying GIF. I don't like saying GIF. There's just something about that. that I don't like. <laughs> There's just something about that that's GIF, problematic. GIFs just sounds way more masculine. It makes me think of the peanut butter. And that's that's man. And that's masculine. Yeah, peanut butter. Yeah, for real. I, I don't know. You're asking, you're asking me too many questions. Too many questions. <laughs> My wife said, don't, doesn't that stand for like graphic? Like, I, I, we don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to put together the peanut butter and masculinity re- reference. Like, you're going to have to connect those dots for me. Dude, have you ever ate a, a peanut butter sandwich? I mean, is it, it just, the protein? Is it the what? It's all of it. It's all of it. The peanut it's, butter, it's, it's an experience. It's the roof of your mouth, and you got to fight it off. <laughs> it's just a battle. Okay, I see. It's a war. Okay. 
Uh, all right, all right. So it's an epic quest. It's an epic quest to eat a, a peanut butter sandwich. So anyway, well, we hope we jokes, jokes aside. We hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, make sure the metaphysics uh, of peanut butter. The metaphysics. Oh god, I can't. But anyway, um, make sure to uh, leave us a five star review on whatever platform that you're listening on. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please, 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 please make sure to leave us an honest five star review. Helps us with search engine optimization, helps us to be found, helps put us out there, and it helps with a lot of that kind of stuff. So we really, really appreciate it when you guys do that. So if you haven't done that yet, please make sure to do that. All right, guys. Well, I think it's all we got, Richie. Unless yep. one more word, you, you one more opportunity. You got anything you want to say? I'm good. Well, thanks so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sword and Staff. See you next week. See you then.